Well, good morning, everyone. Really great to see you here today. Welcome to church. Welcome to our ongoing series, Northmead Refresh. Uh, and th- today we're looking at the idea that Christ unites us. Um, I want to ask a question. Why do we find it so annoying when the kids ask, are we there yet? You're driving along, you're making good progress, the scenery is beautiful, you're heading off on a well-earned break, the holidays are going to be fun, but it's all shattered by a voice from the back, dripping with impatience and discontentment, are we there yet? Why is it so annoying? Well, firstly, I take it it's because we obviously aren't. Because otherwise you wouldn't have to ask. We're doing 110 on a freeway. No, this isn't where we're having a holiday. Secondly, we're not going to get there any quicker if you keep asking. In fact, it will make this thing feel a whole lot longer, the more frustrating you keep asking again and again and again. But if you dig a little deeper, I also think it's because going on holidays is actually about being together, isn't it? It's about enjoying family time. So why not enjoy the trip and admire the scenery and laugh with family? You're still a family on the way there. You actually already have the thing that really matters, time together, even while you're on your way. The journey is actually part of the holiday. But try explaining that to your kids in the back while they're annoying each other. When you think about it, it can be like this with church and the Christian life. We're tempted to keep asking, are we there yet? When will we get there? How much longer? Why aren't we there yet? When will church be perfect? When will being a Christian be easy? When will the tears and the frustrations be gone? When will people stop annoying me? When will I stop struggling with sin? And it's true, there are aspects of being on the journey as Christians that are definitely not as fun as when we get to the new creation and the presence of God. It'll be awesome when Christ returns when the universe is made new, when we get our resurrection bodies, we rightly long for that day. 2 Peter 3 says, we speed it coming, urging it on. But remember Paul in Philippians? He's he's in prison. He's faced with persecution and hardship and being apart from his Christian friends. He desperately desires to be with his Lord, but he doesn't say, I'm sick of this. When can I leave? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is is gain. If I live, I have Christ with me and Christ to live for. If I die, even better, I get to be with my Lord in glory. Both the journey and the destination are about Jesus and his people. So as we think about, are we there yet? Just listen to how the Bible describes there in this spectacular vision of our destination, Revelation 7 verse 9, where it says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. What an amazing picture of all of God's people gathered together. What it tells us is that the journey and the destination are God's people united together. We are in this together. We are family. We are friends. We are brothers and sisters. We enjoy 
the deepest form of human connection and love that is possible. We are united with Christ in the love of the Father. There is no greater love than that. And that's what binds us together. Which means the journey there is meant to be more like a fun road trip where you're in the car with friends, with family, on your way somewhere awesome, but enjoying every moment of the trip together. So are we there yet? Well, no. We're waiting for Christ's return. We're waiting for our resurrection bodies. We're waiting to see God face to face. Waiting for all of God's elect to be brought in. For all of the prodigals to return. All of the lost sheep to be carried home so we can celebrate with the angels in heaven. We're waiting for God to finish conforming us to the likeness of His Son. Refining us and purifying us as He builds His church. But are we there yet? Yes. Because we have been gathered we have been united with christ and each other we have been justified and sanctified and glorified romans 8 says we have already been included in this spiritual reality of the gathering of believers from across the nations this is our spiritual reality now the bible says even while we wait It's true. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says that once we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses in which we walked, but now we have been raised with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's our present reality, a spiritual reality of eternal life that has already begun. Or listen to how Hebrews describes it. Hebrews chapter 12, it's not one day we will get there, one day maybe we'll arrive, but Hebrews 12 says we have arrived. Hebrews 12 verse 22 says this, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is the God of all, to the spirits of the righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. It says, you have come, not you will, not maybe, not hopefully, you have arrived at this gathering, at this mountain, at this presence of God. This is our spiritual reality. Confirmed in God's word. This is why we have assurance of salvation. This is how we know we're going to go to heaven because we've already been spiritually gathered there. We have complete confidence of where we will go when we die because we already belong in God's kingdom and have already been spiritually gathered together to God. And last week we saw because God already dwells in us by his Holy Spirit, which means we have come to the city of the living God. We have come to the new Jerusalem, the assembly of the firstborn, the festive celebration gathering, and this gathering here today, us being here right now, together, in this moment, in this time, in this space, is the earthly expression of that spiritual, eternal glorious reality that is already ours in Christ. So our month of being refreshed is not so much about being given something new 
or something extra or something we didn't have before. But it's been about opening our eyes to see things the way God sees them. To know what God knows and to lift our hearts and minds to grasp this amazing spiritual reality that's already true and is always ours of who we are and what we already have in Jesus Christ. And yes, the car trip does seem long sometimes and the person sitting next to you is in your space or they're looking at you funny or they're just being annoying, all of those things. And I'm definitely not saying that we shouldn't look forward to the destination as if we should stop thinking about heaven and just get on with living here and now. Not at all. I'm saying the more we understand the destination and how amazing it is, the more we will realize what we already have in Christ, what we already enjoy as his blessings together, even as we wait. In 1635, a Puritan preacher by the name of Richard Sibbs died. And it was said of him, heaven was in him before he was in heaven. What a beautiful truth. And what a great way of expressing it. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. Our lives now ought to reflect the reality of our heavenly home. The fact that we belong to God, we are His. Our lives should more and more reflect where we are going rather than where we've come from. And our gathering together as Christians, our church should be a glimpse and a foretaste of heaven so that people can see heaven in us before we are in heaven. And I'm not saying church is heaven or that we should expect perfection and no disappointment ever. But the fact is that in Revelation 7, we get to see the curtain lifted on the future and where everything is heading. This is where God's plans and God's purposes, everything is building towards that moment. This is the end that God has always had in mind. The goal of all things this is what God saved us for, is preparing us for and refining us for. And it's us united. So turning our attention to Revelation 7, I want to note six things about the heavenly gathering that we see in Revelation 7 that shapes our understanding of who we are now and the journey that we're undertaking together. The first thing that we see about this heavenly gathering is it's vast. Our destination is a huge, massive gathering of people. Our future is to be part of a community, part of a group, a renewed, reconciled humanity that is impossible to number. What makes heaven heaven and eternity perfect is God and his people united together perfectly. We will get to enjoy all the best bits of friendship and love, family and mateship, belonging and intimacy and acceptance. We'll get to enjoy it for eternity. Earlier in the chapter, there is a symbolically enormous number of Israel there. 144,000, a symbolic number of 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. It's complete and it's full and it's perfect, but also there is a multitude from all the nations. See, God's plan for his people has always been big 
And I know sometimes we feel like, man, is Christianity losing? And is the church kind of dying? And is the kingdom really not succeeding in the world? And we feel like we're outnumbered and we feel like no one likes us and no one wants us. And, but then we look at the future and this is where it's all heading. Just like when God made Adam and Eve, he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God said, I've made this planet. I want it full of humans. People everywhere is what he wants. He says to Abraham, go out into the, into the night sky. Go outside, look up. Your descendants, my people, will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. God's plan is massive. And now in Christ, remember the risen Lord Jesus gathers his disciples and he says to them, I'm with you to the end of the age. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Make disciples of all nations, which we have on the wall in our foyer to remind us as we step out of our gathering here that we're actually going out to gather more people. God's plan for his church is ultimately a huge multitude of people. That's what our eternal life will be. And our purpose and our desire is to be there and to bring people with us. So firstly, it's vast. Secondly, it's diverse. There are people there from every nation. They're not all the same. Every tribe, every people, every language, everyone is welcome in this group. It's not an exclusive gathering of people. It's not the size that you feel comfortable with. And it's not the people that you feel comfortable with. Or the people who are like you. No, everyone's there. What defines this church of the living God is not race, it's not language, it's not colour or culture. It is the free gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Many of you remember that John Lennon famously sang, Imagine, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. It's a nice dream, isn't it? The problem is, for us humans, on our own, look at our track record, look at our history, that's all it is, imagination. No matter how hard you try to close your eyes and imagine that everyone is happy and everyone is living in peace and the world is one, it just isn't true. The Bible doesn't say, imagine. The Bible says, see, look, behold, here it is. Revelation 7, see a world where people of different color, different background, different race, all live in peace and joyful unity. See a place where there is no distrust between peoples. There's no wars between nations. There's no genocide or racism or sexism or fear or hatred or suspicion. Not because humans are good and we've all decided to get on with each other but because the nations have been gathered and transformed and washed by the blood of the Lamb, because we've been saved and bought by Jesus. So if our journey is shaped by our destination, if heaven is in us before we are in heaven, then we will be concerned for the lost of all the nations to come to Christ. 
of all cultures, all languages, one for Christ, transformed, repentant, and gathered to him. And this is the result. Thirdly, what do we see about this mighty gathering? It's united. It's vast, it's diverse, but it's united. It may be many different people, but it's one gathering. It might be billions of individuals, but it's one new humanity. It's a multitude you can't even count. One church in Christ. You see this unity as the crowd in the vision is wearing the same robes. They're all, this one big cricket match is happening here right now. But it's, it's the white robes of victory in Christ. Like Jesus wears in Revelation 1. This epic conquering Jesus appears wearing white robes. We get to wear those robes too. But it's the white robes of righteousness and purity. Verse 14 says, Robes that have been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb in His righteousness. All one. And they all shout out the same truth and the same cry of triumph, singing the same song. In fact, in verse 10, you see it says, they all cried out in a loud voice singular. It's one voice coming from billions of mouths. It's one voice, one truth, perfect unison, perfect alignment, because they are gathered and united by one perfect, glorious Saviour. And so they all call out there in Revelation 7, verse 10, salvation belongs to God, who is seated on the throne. And salvation belongs to the Lamb. What unites this gathering is the gospel. It's the truth about Jesus. What unites this gathering is the worship of God through Jesus. If we want our church to be more united and more connected, and to be one in Christ, then more and more we'll reflect this united voice proclaiming God's word to each other and to the world. It's the only thing that will bring us together. Fourthly, what we see about this vast gathering is it's safe in God's hands. Because I want to say almost the, the, the most amazing thing about this vision is not that humans have thrown away their weapons and been united together. It's not that men and women and different races are living peacefully together. The most amazing thing about this vision is the confidence with which human beings can stand in the very presence of God. Not only is where we're headed a place of perfectly healed relationship with one another, but it's the place of perfect relationship with God, with the Holy Judge with the victorious king, with the perfect almighty one who is holy, holy, holy. This should take our breath away. Here is this great multitude standing before God's throne with no fear and no judgment and no doubt and no condemnation. There's no anxiety and no worries. There's no possibility of rejection or failure. Instead, God spreads his tent of protection over all of them. Again, it's only because of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and His blood. Verse 14, then I said, you know, who is this crowd, sir? You know, then He told me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they serve Him day and night in His temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. Shelter, spread his tent over them. He protects us. 
He keeps us safe. This is what God is creating in us every time we gather around him in his word. This is what God is preparing us for. A perfect gathering, a perfect community, a united and loving group of people filled with concern for one another. All made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to fifthly, this gathering experiences life to the full. Because look at what comes next in verses 16 and 17. They're gathered there in the presence of God. He, he spreads his tent over them, shelters them. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All the pain, all the frustration and hardship and suffering of this life, like being out in the desert battered by heat and the sun, is gone. And all of the joy and all of the love and life and fullness and satisfaction there is in God will remain forever. Revelation 7 is like the world's most massive family snapshot. We're all matching clothes. We're all smiling and super happy. Only in this chapter it's real and it's not because mom is threatening us to make everyone do it. It is a perfect family moment that we see in this picture. And we are already part of that family. We're in this photo. It's astonishing. A couple of times in the Bible, we appear, John 17 and here. We're in this photo. We're in this vision. Jesus gives to John a glimpse of the future. He says, you want to know what my plans for the future are? You want to know what happens in the universe now that I rule everything? And he shows him the glory of God's plans. And that's us in there, in that gathering. And I know sometimes we look at the world and kind of envy what they have. They seem to have freedom and they seem to have fun and they seem to have all these things. We really, really shouldn't envy them at all. Because Jesus says what we have is life. What we have is freedom and peace and love and acceptance and a place and a future. What they have is slavery and fear and death. We have life. We have real life. We have life in abundance. We have life so overflowing that we can share it with others and we can pass through death and still live forever. We have God's promise. This is our eternal destination. And this is what we've already begun to experience spiritually because Jesus is our shepherd even now. Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus guides us and guards us and provides for us as our perfect shepherd and Lord. And so sixthly, what do we see about this massive gathering? It is both the ends and the means of God's glory. You see, the glory of God's grace, his kindness and forgiveness, is what achieves this gathering and what creates this church united. Salvation belongs to God, not to us. Salvation belongs to the shepherd because he's gathered his mighty flock the church gathered and united has been God's plan from the very beginning. And it took the blood of Jesus to get us together. All these people gathered together is mission accomplished. Church is mission accomplished. But gathering his people together 
is also the means by which God is glorified and his name is magnified and his praise is declared and his perfection made known and the lost are welcomed and sinners are saved. So gathering like this for church is both the end goal and the means by which God achieves his purpose. It's both. It's both the journey and the destination because it's God's people united with each other and with him. And you know what all this means? It means you walking in that door this morning and joining in this gathering is a spiritually magnificent moment. And some of you may be thinking, too right it is, I came to church. But you know, we often underestimate the value of this moment together. We judge it by how entertained we were or interested or how far into the sermon before we fell asleep. But Revelation 7 tells us what God thinks of this moment. It is precious to him. But we've also been reminded we need each other and each other needs us. If you like, we're like Lego bricks designed specifically to connect with other bricks. We exist to be connected to each other. Our form, our shape, having been saved, is to make something bigger than ourselves. God has joined us together, bricks of different shapes and sizes and colours, but all with this common connection that binds us as God builds us into something gloriously amazing, His church. What joins us together What will join new people into our community and into our church is God working through each and every one of you. It's not the building. It's not the programs. It's not the staff. It's not comfortable seats or the joy of air conditioning. But under God's sovereign purpose, what connects people is people. Is you. You are God's plan to glorify his name and save sinners and build each other up so that we all stand firm on the last day. So are we there yet? Well, I'm about to finish and pray, so if that's what you were thinking, then yes, we're nearly done. But are we there yet? Well, no. We wait longingly for Jesus, our Lord and King. We wait to be gathered with all the saints, with all the holy ones, washed by the blood of Jesus from every nation. So hang in there. But at the same time, yep, because we already have each other. Because heaven is in us, even before we're in heaven. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this precious vision that you've given through John to us of what the future has in store for us, what you have in store for us, this spectacular gathering with each other and with you. Please help us, Father, on this journey while we wait, heading there, to be filled with satisfaction and contentment, knowing that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And help us, Father, to be there for each other, connected, united, and filled with love, because salvation belongs to you and to the Lamb who died for us. In his name we pray. Amen.